theme song of the Master's Men. I love that song. Well, this morning I'm going to ask, as we go to God's Word, that you open in Scripture with me to Genesis, the sixth chapter. You know, as always, uh, it is an honor uh, to bring the message to you. It's exciting to be here in this series, uh, Broken and Restored. And I think God is doing some wonderful things in us and through the ministry here. There are lives, honestly, being impacted, being changed because of you. Uh, and they look to, to you and to this church for influence and for encouragement. Uh, God has blessed us with a sincere eldership, with a great staff, with, with a great group of spouses that support them. Uh, do not take for granted, friends, what God is doing here. And I just want to thank you for showing up in the Lord's house each Sunday and allowing me the privilege of being your preacher. You know, next week is Mother's Day, uh, Sunday here at the church, and so uh, we are praying that each of you will bring your mother and, and show up for that special service that acknowledges uh, just a little bit for their sacrifice and for the hard work of, of the women in our lives. And of course, every mom in attendance, we're going to have a special uh, gift, a recognition for them. We're going to have three special gifts with three very interesting categories to give away. And so I, I pray that you will look forward to that, uh, invite your neighbors, have them bring their, their parents as well to be here. Well, this morning we are in sermon number two of this series, Broken and Restored. And for the next few minutes, I want to I just dialogue with you about restoring broken confidence. You know what I've come to realize in life is that whenever God wants to do something powerful, in and through our lives, we will have to jump over the hurdle of fear. I've told Cheryl before that as, as hard and dedicated a runner as Olivia is, I am always glad she did not choose to be a hurdler. Because if I was the parent of a child that was running the hurdles, my constant fear would be that my kid's the one that's going to clip their heel on one of the hurdles and just go sprawling out all over the track. And I want to protect my children. Fear can grip our lives. I think most of us know that, that it can paralyze us. It can stop us from moving forward into the life and into the blessings that God has prepared for us. I know this personally, and I've experienced it. When God wants to do something either in my life or through my life, that I've had to overcome and jump over these hurdles of fear. And I've learned that Scripture is true. When it says in 1 John, perfect love, it cast out all fear. I think back to when I decided uh, to respond to the Holy Spirit and, and leave my pre-med studies at the University of Kentucky and enter the ministry by studying at the Cincinnati Bible College. Now, while my mom and dad both always encouraged me towards being a, a physician, it wasn't a very popular decision that I, that I made to make that change. The greatest objections came from my dad who said, son, you cannot support a family on, on a preacher's salary. And if you make this decision, you need to know you're on your own. We are not going to support you any longer in school. And I remember feeling crushed because I clearly felt God leading me in one direction, but the disappointment of my home pulling me the other way. I had to jump over that hurdle of fear, and I'm so glad that I did. Every time that Cheryl and I have left one ministry to begin another, there's been that same familiar hurdle of fear, whether it was in Indiana or Kentucky, or even here. And to be honest with you, almost every action along the way had a hurdle of fear with it. The very first funeral that I performed, 
Friends, I had no idea as a young man what I was doing. The first wedding that I performed, I was naive enough to believe people were actually there to hear what I had to say. I was actually naive enough to believe that every bride had her perfect wedding planned out, that everybody participating in the wedding was only there to answer her beck and call, and there was no such thing as a bridezilla or a mother-in-law that would interfere with plans. I remember the first time I attended a board meeting. It was nothing like I assumed it would be in church leadership. I was scared to death the first time I ever shared Jesus with another person. You know, all throughout the Bible, as you look at the lives of God's people, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, you will find four words that show, almost, show up almost every time to everyone, and you know what they are. Do not be afraid. Over and over again. Look at a few of the examples that show up in God's Word. When God wants to, to lead people in a powerful way, watch them jump this hurdle of fear. The first one's in Genesis 15:1, And it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. He's telling Abram, do not be afraid of the unknown. Now, if you're not familiar with Abram's story, God had given him a promise that a child would be born to him, even in his old age. And that God had prepared a special land for his people to be in. And to this point, no child had been born. He's not entered the promised land. He's not encountered the Canaanites at this point. And so God says to him, Abram, don't be afraid of the unknown. I think of Moses in Exodus 14, 13, where it says, Moses answered the people and he said to them, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. God's saying, Moses, Israel, don't be afraid of your enemies. See, God's people had just been released from 400 years of bondage and captivity under the cruel whips of Pharaoh's supervisors. And as they were leaving, the Red Sea is in front of them. The pursuing Egyptian army is behind them to take them back into captivity and to punish them. But the people are fearful. And so God says through Moses, don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of the seemingly impossible situation that's staring you in the face. And I think that could be God's word for somebody in this room this morning. I think of one of my favorite Old Testament characters, Joshua. In Joshua 1.9, when God says to him, Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Moses, the great leader, has just died. And now Joshua is in command of millions and God is saying to them, Joshua, don't be afraid to lead my people. Let me share with you one more scripture out of, out of the New Testament. It's from Acts chapter 18, verse 9. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul, the Apostle Paul, in a vision. He said, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. God is saying to him, Paul, don't be afraid to share your faith. Don't be afraid to preach the gospel. And I think 
that during the season that started with Easter and Mother's Day and Memorial Day and Vacation Bible School and all that will take place here, maybe you've got a neighbor. Maybe you've got a coworker. Maybe you've got a, a family member or a classmate and you've got some fear in your heart about inviting them to come to church. And maybe you picked up one of those postcards or maybe you've got your bulletin. You think about stopping and passing that off, but something just holds you back and God would be saying to you, do not be afraid. You see, whenever God wants to do something powerful in or through our lives, we have to jump over the hurdle of fear. Now, I want to focus with you in the time we have left on one of the most popular biblical characters in the Bible. It's a man by the name of Noah. And I, and I want to look at three things that we cannot be afraid of, three things that I think we can gain confidence in because of God's amazing love and plan and grace for us. And they're each restored, I believe, in the example of Noah. And the first one is this. Number one, do not be afraid to stand alone for God or to stand up for God. Look what the scripture says in Genesis 6, verse 5. It says this about Noah. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become upon the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Some versions translate that as, it broke God's heart. And so God said, I'll get rid of my ruined creation. I'll make a clean sweep. People, animals, snails, bugs, birds, the works. I'm sorry that I made them. But Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. Can God say the same thing about you? Then the scripture says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. And now read this out loud with me, this underlined part. The only blameless person. The only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. He was the only blameless person in his generation. Everyone else was consumed with their own desires, their own lust, their own lying, their own anger, their own violence, their own pride, their own envy, their own jealousy, their own rage, their, their own rejection and rebellion against faith in God. And Noah alone stood for God. When everybody else was going left of center, Noah chose to live in the right. When everybody else was bowing down, Noah was standing up for God. And friends, we all come to a crossroads within our life where we will either go forward and experience the life that God has designed for each one of us, or we will take a step back and hinder what God has for our existence. And oftentimes it hinges on this one thing, our willingness to stand alone for God. When all the world is going the opposite way, I think about the times in my own life when God chose to show up in powerful ways to be in or to work through me, and oftentimes it hinged on my willingness to say yes to him to stand up for God even when I didn't understand what he was asking of me. 
I listened to one young man by the name of Herbert Cooper share about his family growing up. He lived in a dysfunctional city called Wewoka, Oklahoma. Wewoka, I like that. And within that city, he lived in a dysfunctional family. His dad had a gambling addiction. Both of his parents had alcohol addictions. Fear was prevalent in his home. At the age of 13, he was sexually abused by a woman who took advantage of him. And he lost his virginity at the age of 13. He grew up scared, ashamed, never able to tell his parents. It spiraled him into a life of promiscuity and pornography addiction. And as a young teenager, he was full of rage and anger and hostility. By the age of 15, it was no surprise because of the dysfunction in his home that his parents split up. What surprised him was the day his dad went to work and his mom, along with his older brother and his younger sister, loaded their possessions into a car and he stood in the driveway, even being a mama's boy, and he watched his brother, sister, and mother leave him alone to tell his father they were gone. They drove all the way from Oklahoma to Rochester, New York to live with her sister. The first Christmas at home without his mother and his siblings, he cried the entire day, hugging a pillow and wondering if life was even worth living anymore. The only thing that Cooper had going for him was athletics. He was good in sports. In fact, he was the captain of his football team. But at one point, even that began to unravel for him. He was so frustrated one day with things in his life and with the game he was participating in, he got into a shouting match with his coach. And he told his coach, you don't know what I'm struggling through. You don't have a clue what I'm dealing with. And he took a swing at his coach. And it was a blessing that he didn't connect. His coach bizzed him for a few games, but he recognized the struggle this young man was going through. And rather than expel him from the school, he worked with him. Several weeks passed. It was after a practice on a Thursday night. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes had a meeting in their locker room. Now, he had no intention of going to this Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting. In fact, a recruiter was coming from another college to meet with his dad and him that night to talk about their program. But he received a call from this recruiter that said, look, I'm, I'm stuck in another, uh, with another player, a potential player. I'm five hours away. I'm not going to make it tonight. I'll, stump, I'll come by tomorrow. I'll pull you out of class. We'll talk about uh, athletics at our college. And so he, he, he didn't have anything planned. And the Fellowship of Christian Athletes said the two magic words that made him want to stay as a teenage boy, free pizza. <laughs> and so he thought, you know, I don't care about God, I don't care about fellowship, but I do care about free pizza. And so he got his free pizza and he sat there on this, this locker room bench. And that night, a fellow named Todd Thompson, he was a former kicker for the Oklahoma Sooners, he sat in a chair, talked in a monotone voice, told a story about Jesus Christ coming and living a sinless life and dying for the sins of all these young men sitting there eating their free pizza. And Cooper said that night, God spoke to me. And in that moment, it didn't matter who else was in that room because it was just me and God. He said he began to cry his eyes out. And that night, in that high school locker room, he invited Jesus Christ to be his Lord and his Savior. 
he, he said, that night was just one of the first of the but God moments of my life. He said, I went in one way, but God had me leaving a different person. I went in hot with anger and disappointment in my life, but I went out with God, cool with God, and cold because they baptized me in an ice bath. <laughs> but that night in a high school football locker room, he made a choice to stand even if it was alone, for God. He got picked up by the Arkansas Razorbacks, and while he was there to play college football, he could have fit in with all the other players as an underclassman. Every Friday night before the games on Saturday, all the teammates would go out and they would party hard, and they would say, Coop, you coming with us? He said, not one of those players knew that I'd given my life to Christ. I could have gone along with them, but I knew. And he said, nope, can't go with you. And every Friday night, he'd get in his car, and he'd go to Burger King and get two Whoppers, and he would drive around that town all by himself, and he would sing a song that stuck in his heart. It was a song written by a young guy that I got to go to youth group with as I grew up, a young guy that, that ended up being part of the Backstreet Boys. That'll date me there for a little bit. A Christian artist by the name of Brian Littrell. But he said, I drove around listening to this song, In Christ Alone Will I Glory. Though I could pride myself on battles won, I have been blessed beyond measure, but it's by his strength I overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands, but those trophies would not equal the grace by which I stand. In Christ alone, I place my trust, and I find my glory in the power of his cross. So in every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. He stood up for God, and it became the defining moment of his life. And some of you, you're there right now. It's a pivotal moment, and God wants to do something incredible in you and through you, but you have to stand up for God. For some of you, it's with your own family members. For some of you, it's with your friends who don't share your biblical values. Or you're being pulled in one direction by the people you work with or the people you go to school with. Or you're in a relationship or you're in a situation you know that doesn't glorify and honor God. And you've got to choose to stand up for Jesus even if you stand alone. And you need to stand and say, I won't bend and I won't break. I won't water down my faith. As a grandparent, you need to say, I won't compromise in a world of desperation. And friends, this world is a desperate place. What has been, I cannot change. But for tomorrow and today, I will be a light for future generations. My life and my decisions, I take them, Lord, and I stand for you. For some of you, again, it's at your workplace. Or every time you show up at school, Everybody around you is just negative, and they're all talking about certain things, or they're using certain language, and you have to say, God, I'm going to be a light in this darkest of place, and I'm going to season my speech with grace, and I'm, I'm not going to use profanity. And friends, you will always have people around you that just want you to be ordinary, people that just want you to maintain the status quo, but you've got the chance to say, nope. I'm going to live for God with passion. I'm going to live a life for God in an honoring way. And the, when the way gets hard, 
I always what, what, like what the former Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell said, you can say this no matter how much it hurts, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how far you fall, you are never out of the fight. You grew up in church, those of you that did, you said it, you sing it, you mean it. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back. You be the best Christian grandparent. You be the best Christian dad, the best Christian mom, the best Christian spouse, the best Christian student you can be for Christ. The Bible said Noah was a blameless man, but he was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And Genesis 6, 8 says of Noah, he found favor with God. Friends, anytime you make the choice to say, God, I'm going to stand for you even if I stand alone, God has a way of pouring his favor on your life. Number two, do not be afraid to make a difference. Would you allow me to speak this over your life, not just your life, but over the life of this congregation? Friends, you may think we're a small church. What, what, what can we do? Understand, you are making a bigger difference than you realize. Go back to the life of Noah. It's in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Peter said this, If he, if God, did not spare the ancient world when he brought about the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher, notice that, okay, of righteousness, and seven others. Now, now I want you to notice this. It took Noah anywhere from 20 to 120 years to build the ark that God commanded. At least that's when the countdown to the flood started. We know back in Genesis 6.3 6, Genesis it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. They're mortal, and so their days will be 120. So you start that countdown. And yet Genesis 7.11 says it's in the 600th year of Noah's life. On the 17th day of the seventh month, by the Jewish calendar, you're there. It's April and May, by the way. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. The floodgates of heaven were opened, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, you're saying, Bill, I heard that when I was in Sunday school as a kid. We did that in VBS year after year again. But, but, but understand this. This man is 600 years old, and he's been warning people of God's impending judgment of this flood that's coming for up to 120 years, building a boat and preaching, building a boat and preaching, building a boat and preaching. And 120 years, nobody listens. 1 Peter 3, verse 20, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. 120 years of preaching, and only eight people were saved. Those verses make me encouraged as a minister and as a preacher, as a communicator of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And they opened my eyes starkly about what I do. In fact, it convicted me just this past week. Doug Fisher has asked me before, Bill, I can see it in your eyes. How do you feel 
when you give an invitation and nobody comes forward. Honestly, you want to know how I feel? Sometimes I walk out and think, Lord, nobody came forward today. Nobody responded. Does what I do from this pulpit even matter? And God says, Bill, you've only been preaching for 29 years. Noah preached for 120 years, and only eight people were saved by his preaching, and they were members of his own family. The friends that Noah grew up with, the other farmers that he met with at the co-op, his neighbors that he had backyard barbecues with, you know, all the people around him, not one of them listened. And I'll bet Noah thought, I'm not making much of a difference. I'm building this boat, God, that you told me to build, and I am preaching as passionately as I possibly can. I'm warning them about the flood. God, I'm telling them that you love them and you have a plan for them, and no, nobody comes. Zero transfers, zero baptisms. You know, if you had an altar call, zero altar call responses. God, it doesn't look like I'm making a difference. And you know, sometimes I've learned this. It's not just that you feel like you're not making a difference. Sometimes it just feels like you're making a mess. I mean, this might shock and surprise some of you to hear this, but as Noah is going out, he's chopping down these trees, right? And, and these trees, they're falling, and there's branches, there's leaves everywhere. He's making this pitch and tar, and he's boiling it, and this acrid smoke is just covering his neighbor's property, and everything around him is sawdust and shavings, and it is a mess. And friends, believe it or not, there was no Home Depot in Noah's day. There's no Lowe's home improvement. In fact, for you young people, there was no Walmart, okay, in Noah's day. He had to make his own tools. He had to make his own way in and all of this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes when you're following God, life looks like a mess. Anybody testify life can get messy? And you feel like it's nothing but a mess and I'm not making a difference. But listen, if you stay faithful build that boat you grab that saw and you start cutting down that tree you start hammering those pegs into place even when it seems like all oh, you're making is a mess friends you're making a difference just ask Noah he knows now he made a difference for his family if he had not remained faithful seven other people would have lost their lives but because he was faithful to God, his entire family was saved. And I submit to you, Noah made a huge difference to his family. Noah made a huge difference for the animals. How many of you have a pet at home? How many of you love pets? You can thank God for Noah because of the animals that, that were saved through God's providence and through his work. How many of you, I know you've got pets, you didn't raise your hand. How many of you like meat, okay? You could thank Noah for that because if he didn't do what God told him, you'd have nothing but fish to eat, okay? Now, I love shrimp and I love scallops and all that stuff, but sometimes this guy just has to have a steak, okay? I just got to have a hamburger sometimes. If it was not for Noah, not one of us would be here today. But because he was faithful to God, we read in Genesis 9-1, God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Didn't look like he was making a difference. 120 years and only eight people respond, and yet here we are. And we're told by our Lord and Savior in Revelation 2.10, friends, be faithful even to the point of death. 
and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. Friends, it is getting harder and harder to be a believer in this world. It's getting darker and darker politically, economically, financially by the things that are happening all around us and we have to choose not to be afraid but to be faithful. Here's the last thing, number three. And we'll wrap this up. Step out in faith and trust God. Don't be afraid to do that. One of the powerful things about Noah's life was he, he wasn't afraid to step out in faith and trust God. Friends, this man built a boat that was taller than a four-story building. It was bigger and wider than one and a half football fields. And, and so many people, I believe, miss out on the miracles of God and of him moving in a powerful way in and through their lives because they're afraid to obey God, to step out in faith and trust him. So, so Springfield Church of Christ, VBS volunteers, elders, deacons, don't be afraid to step out in faith. God's arms are strong enough to lead us. Don't let the, the past don't let fear of failure or fear of culture or fear of loss prevent you from stepping out in faith to trust God. I've always loved the old poem, as children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend. I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But instead of leaving him alone to work, uh, in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. And as I snatched them back, I cried, God, how can you be so slow? My child, you said, what could I do? You never let them go. Friends, what do you need to let go of to trust God this morning? Let me share with you a final verse about Noah. And this comes in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, verse 7 in the New Testament. It says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. But by faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm going to ask Peggy if she would come forward this morning, uh, be prepared to play, and, and the men, if you guys could come up and join me. You know, Noah trusted God about things that had never happened before. Many scholars believe that before the days of Noah... Because of Genesis 2, it talked about how the earth was watered by, by this canopy of vapor that surrounded the earth and by streams and rivers that came up from below the ground. They don't believe rain ever fell until Noah built the ark. If that was true, then his ark building must have really seemed strange in the light of his neighbor's eyes. There's certainly been no worldwide flood. There'd been no deluge. There'd been no promise even of a rainbow yet. But Noah stepped out and he trusted God. What do we as a congregation and as individuals need to step out in faith towards? For some of you, God's been speaking to you for some time now. In fact, you've, you've started to learn about the things that, that move the heart of God and, and it's begun to break your heart. And friends, that brokenness is a gift because Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, that, that sorrow, that godly sorrow, it brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow alone, it just brings death. God wants you to have a life without regret. But though you don't know, 
preacher, you don't know how hard that is. My life, I, I have seen so much. I've been through so much. I've done so much. I don't know if I can do this. Well, would you gain confidence from what God said to a young man named Paul, or a young man named Timothy when he said, Timothy, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He's given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So friends, if you've got a decision to make this morning, now is the time. I'm going to ask uh, Adam Keyes if he would come forward to receive this morning as, as I share with the men. But everyone, if you would, let's stand together. Let's sing a song of decision. If you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're ready to be baptized into Him, friends, if you're ready to make this your church home, now's the time to come as we sing.